The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties. Location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. What happens when a college student is cut off financially from their family after revealing their sexual orientation? It can be a devastating trial, but students don't have to face it alone. Delphine Bautista is director of the LGBT Center at Ohio University and joins me along with Jan and Tom Hodson to talk about a fund set up to help lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students when emergencies arise. Delphine, I, I'm going to start with you because I love to know what makes people tick. I love to know why they end up having the passion to help the people that they help and and that sort of thing. So can we go back and will you give us your backstory of how you grew up? Oh, how long do we have? Uh, so uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, and into a Hispanic household, a, a Latino household, and service to others was ingrained into us from a very early age. Uh, my mom was involved in mission work, and so being able to help uh, individuals who are marginalized has always been a part uh, of me. And so as I grew up uh, and came into my understanding of who I am in terms of sexuality and gender, not wanting others to go through what I went through in terms of being rejected by my family, being sent to reparative therapy, and just trying to create space where folks can openly and honestly ask questions, even if those questions don't have answers, uh, but just to create a space where people can be and explore and that this is messy uh, and not clean cut and to be okay with the messy. And so... Uh, my religious upbringing, social justice upbringing, I think led me to, to this point of, of wanting to come here to the university and really build off the foundation that was here, that it, I wasn't starting from scratch, that there was a center, that there are folks like Jam and Tom and many others who were committed to supporting the community and, and really embracing solidarity uh, in every sense of the in every level of the sense of that term, uh, solidarity. Mm -hmm. And so it's been exciting. And I've learned a lot from the folks here, even though I'm technically seen as the expert on all of these things. I learn just as much from the interactions with, with others. And so it's been, it's been a lot of fun in terms of, again, just creating safer spaces where folks can just be themselves. Isn't it true that it's often from that spot of pain that we're able to help others, that we're able to grow into helping others? But it breaks my heart that you that you would have to go through rejection from the people that, that you feel that you love the most, that love you the most. And um, have you been able to find peace with that? Yes. I mean, my mom... Uh Fast forward 18 years. Uh, she now goes to Pride Parades, uh, and she became involved with a group. Uh, it's a national group, and we used to have a chapter here in Athens, but it's since closed, uh, PFLAG, uh, mm -hmm. Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. And it was there where she was able to connect with the reality that she was not alone, that mm -hmm. there are other parents who are asking similar questions. How do I love my child? How do I accept my child? Um, and so 
Fast forward, uh, she called me while I was in grad school. Uh, I was in Connecticut. She was still back home in Miami, and she apologized. She had gone to her first Pride Parade, and folks, she said grown men in their 50s and even in their 60s came up to her and were like, we wish our moms were like you. And she even said that there are many individuals who came up to her with their phone. My mom's on the phone. Can you talk to her Aww. right now? Uh, and especially for those of us uh, of Latin American background, this is a conversation that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and so that's when it hit her. Uh, and so she called and she was crying. My mom does not cry by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> uh, and she apologized and was like, Mom, you did what you thought was best. Was it painful? Was it hurtful? Yes, but you didn't. You didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't hold it uh, against her. Um, and again, now she goes to, to Pride Parades and she started uh, – she calls ministry and I, and I fully believe it is a, a form of ministry of speaking with uh, Latin American families, especially the parents. Uh, we don't do support groups because we don't have problems and so why are we going to go to support group? Uh, <laughs> but they want someone to talk to. And similarly, she – doesn't want parents to go through what she went through, a feeling mm-hmm. isolated, feeling that there was no one that understood. And then from a religious context as well as a cultural context, being marginalized uh, mm-hmm. for having an LGBT child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's been exciting to see the coming out journey of my family as a family. My sisters, they uh, one of my sisters works uh, at a Catholic institution, and I told her, look, if you need to unfriend me from Facebook, like, please do so. I don't want your job to be at risk. Uh, and she was just like, bring it on. Um, and so it's... I don't think she would have said that 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and so to see the the acceptance and, and celebration truly. Uh, and so just wanting to share that with the community here, that it is a communal journey. And the hope that you give to others, especially college students who who come out to their parents and are rejected. And, mm-hmm. and you're able to say, hey, this might not be forever. Like, mm-hmm. just hold on. What hope you give? Tom and Jan, how did you become affiliated? You're affiliated with the university, and maybe you can explain that each, but how did you become affiliated with uh, the LGBT um, group, society? Well, I think it probably happened for me, um, maybe the same way it happened for Tom, and that was that we both were working in positions at the university where we had a lot of student contact. Uh, I was the assistant dean of the Honors Tutorial College, And the college is very small. So we would bring in about 50 to 60 freshmen every year, and I got to know them very, very well. And um, it became apparent to me very early in that job that this is a a time in a young person's life where they are coming to know themselves. They're coming into themselves. They're away from mom and dad. They're away from family support. And they struggle in all sorts of ways. Um, So I started seeing students who... Um, were struggling with coming out, and I would try to offer as much support as I could. The university, I mean, I was, I've was i been at the university, I was there for so long that um, I remember a time when there wasn't an office like Delphine's had, and so you, you sort of had to deal with things just on a one-to-one basis, but of course all that has changed now. But the way I really got in, involved here and brought my husband into it, or I should say he stepped into it with me, (laughs) was I went home one evening after talking to one of my students, and she was by far not the only one that I heard from about this, but her her particular story really hit me. She had gone home for a break, I think it was a holiday, and she had decided to come out to her mother. 
And her mother instantly rejected her and cut off all financial support. She was in a sorority at the time. She had bills to pay, tuition to pay. So she came back to school and came into my office, and she was a wreck. I mean, she said, "I have now I have nothing. I have no, I've disappointed my mother. She's cut me off. I, I can't go anywhere. I have nothing. And I remember talking to the dean at the time and saying, is there some sort of fund anywhere to help students like this? Because this is a real need. And I, I remember calling over to the financial aid office and saying, is there an emergency fund anywhere that we could get funds for this student? And the dean and I at the time often had used our own money just to help students through little mm-hmm. situations, and, and that was fine. But this looked like to be it was going to be a, a more major need. And so I went home that night, and I told Tom the story, and I said, and these, you know, this is so frustrating. And he just looked at me and said, let's start a fund. Hmm. If there isn't a fund, let's start a fund. And, of course, I went, of course, why don't we start a fund? <laughs> so we did. And I'd been in development. Where I'd worked in development years ago at the university, so I, and I kind of knew who to contact. And that just started it off, and I forget how we even started it, but we started, we, I think we met with Delphine and someone mm-hmm. from the development office, and we just said, mm-hmm. well, this is how we want, we want this to work so that students don't have to feel vulnerable, don't have to feel threatened if they come out. Because Tom and I firmly believe, and it's easy to say this as straight people, come out. You can say that, but you don't really understand the ramifications mm-hmm. unless you understand each individual story, as Delphine has said. Um, because I do think it does lead to a broader understanding if everybody does come out. But the fact is that when you do that, you put yourself in jeopardy in so many ways. Some people do. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I came at this. Uh, Jan's right about how it came about, but but I come at this in a little different way. Um, I think good things and kind things sometimes happen out of anger. Mm. And I have been so angry with in 2018, 2016, whatever the year, that we're still dealing with these issues where people cannot be themselves. Mm. And not only can they not be themselves, but they're punished for being themselves. And they're punished for acknowledging to themselves and to others who they are. That's obscene to me. Uh, that's, that's a violation of civil rights. But not only that, it's just inhumane to do that. We still see it today in certain cultures, certainly in certain religions. It's sponsored by certain churches. This, this Bigotry. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's call it what it is. Mm-hmm. It's bigotry. It's discrimination. So having those feelings of anger and not knowing what one individual can do with that anger, this seemed to be a perfect way of channeling that anger toward a good end mm-hmm. and a positive end and doing what we can do to just underscore people have a right to be who they are without fear and without punishment. 
We'll get back to our conversation with Delphine, Jan, and Tom in a moment. But first, today's Kindness Call, sponsored by Cornwell Properties, where location matters. Hello, my name is Teresa, and I'm calling in from Athens, Ohio. I would like to call in to tell you about a special act of kindness that I received. You see, it's a little uh, bit easier for me to be the one doing acts of kindness rather than receiving them. But truly, it's good for the soul to be humbled and receive one once in a while. Last week, as a girlfriend and I were about to sit down on my patio to chat, around the corner came a beautiful young woman. She was carrying a gorgeous bouquet of flowers and a chocolate bar. She handed them to me and gave me a big hug, just because. This was a Friday evening when this 21-year-old beauty could have been doing a hundred other things. But she paused and thought of me and made me feel so special. So she sat down and she chatted with the two of us, which was even another wonderful gift. When this young woman was about eight years old, her mother died of cancer. Her mother was a true angel. How proud she would be that her sweet spirit lives on in her beautiful daughter's heart. And I will never forget this Friday night gift. Did you know you can be on the Kindness Podcast? Call the Kindness Hotline with your story. You can leave us a voicemail at the number in the description of this podcast. Now, back to the show. And the fund is called the Tom and Jan Hodson LGBT Student Support Fund. Is this fully funded at this point by the two of you? It's funded by a lot of people. We we put in annual donations to keep the fund going. It's not endowed, but we keep it going. And the alumni and our friends uh, across the nation uh, have contributed. And we always have people – there's not um, – a month goes by that I don't have somebody reach out to me. Uh, and say, this was a really good thing. How can I donate? Or mm. I just donated. Thank you for having this available for me to donate to. Well, that's got to give you a lovely feeling, doesn't it, Jan? Well, yes, because, you know, we, we don't really promote it that much. I mean, every once in a while, I think around the holidays when we know it's the end of the tax year, we'll put something on our Facebook pages and say, you know, this is something we did. If, if, if this is in your heart, you know, you may want to. We've been astounded by the people who've contributed. And um, and the little notes that we've gotten and the emails that Tom has gotten. And then here at the university, it's interesting to see that there are administrators who give regularly to it. Mm. And, you know, they have a broad choice of things to give to here on this campus. But I think that when you are on a college campus, like I said earlier, you, you see these situations up close and you want to support students in this kind of effort. Delphine, is this always an emergency support sort of fund system? When we initially met and Katie Allgood from development was the person who connected uh, all three of us, all four of us, um, it was a conversation. Uh, they, uh, both Tom and Jan, appreciated that I have a clinical background. And so being able to sit with a student, okay, what's going on? And so in some cases, it has been, I've been cut off from my family. Uh, the other is, I'm scared to come out to my family because I'm going to be cut off. Uh, 
I need a little help with books. Uh, we had one student who was going to a job interview in Cleveland and needed help with the Go Bus. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's been a range, everything from rent to books to sometimes medication. Uh, and, and so it's uh, the three of us have shared, it's sad that we need this, but it, we're extremely grateful that we have it. And this is Suicide Awareness Month. And we know that the risk of suicide within the LGBT community is higher. Tragically demonstrated by a nine-year-old who three weeks ago completed suicide in Colorado. Uh, and this is a nine-year-old uh, who came out as gay and was proud to be gay and was bullied by in school and ultimately mm -hmm. uh, took his own life. Uh, and so that narrative is still very much here. And we also know based on research that a simple kindness, a simple affirmation can reduce the risk of suicide by 30%. Uh, and so if it means sitting down with a student for half an hour, 15 minutes, having an exchange via email, uh, and just being able to say, look, we can't pay your rent indefinitely, but, you know, a month, maybe two months, uh, yes, we, we are here to affirm that. And if that can make or break uh, a, a very stressful situation. And so it's not the most pleasant thought to think of, uh, but given the, the reality uh, of mental health issues as well as suicide within our community, this really has helped mm -hmm. as a form of prevention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I think that it's um, it's it's the kindness that you show. It's like the one helping hand that mm -hmm. gives people the hope to say, okay, I'm not going to make that tragic decision. I'm just going to take one more step, one mm -hmm. more day. So, okay, Delphine, I, I am the mom of three kids. I spend a lot of time with kids. One of them is an eight-year-old boy. Um, and... I am a person who loves humans so much so that I will often say nothing or steer clear of people so that I don't accidentally offend them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you have the most beautiful nails, I'm looking at them and going, wow, I Thank love you. it. You know, they've got some purple and some yellow and some green. It's just really like <laughs> captivating. I'm loving it. Thank you. And, but if my eight-year-old son were here, he would say to me, mom, that man was wearing nail polish. How do I as a parent, how do we as humans who love humans and just want to say the right thing and do the right thing, how do we reach out to the LGBT community? I think just by being present, uh, I've also shared with, with Tom and, and with Jan, with, with both, that they're speaking up in some ways carries more weight than if I say the same exact things. Uh, and so being able to own their privilege as non-LGBT people and speak in solidarity with us, not over us, but with us. And so with kids, what's fascinating is, one, we know that kids between the ages of two and four understand gender on some level, and then between the ages of seven and 12 understand sexuality on some level. They're not using the terms that we would use, they just know something's different. Uh, and so in general, when I've met kids, if I'm wearing a skirt or if I have my nails painted, they'll come up and ask like, why are your nails painted? And it's just like, I like doing it. It's a lot of fun. And you see the six, seven, eight-year-old sort of look at you, process, okay, can you play with me? Like mm -hmm. kids tend <laughs> to get it. Uh, and more and more we're seeing shows like Steven Universe, Adventure Time, where kids are being introduced to alternative understandings of gender. Uh, and so one, thinking of the impact that that has on LGBT youth that's amazing. Uh, but then also for non-LGBT youth to see that there are differences, that there are variations, and that it's okay. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I've 
a lot of parents have asked me like, oh, how do we, oh, there are boys who like boys. There are girls who like girls. There are boys who like girls. There are boys who like both boys and girls. Mm -hmm. uh, and kids ultimately do get it. Um, and it just makes sense to them. And they often end the conversation with like, oh, can you just play with me? Ultimately, that's what a child wants mm -hmm. is just to have fun. And so I think more and more, Raising awareness about this, really encouraging folks to watch shows like Steven Universe. I'm not being paid by Cartoon Network. Um, <laughs> and so it is just a really cool show. But then for those of us who are in solidarity, who are allies, who are accomplices, really to sort of own that and recognize that when they say things, it carries certain weight. But again, to be mindful that they're not uh, speaking over the, the community, but simply, in many ways, amplifying our, our voices. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons that we set up the fund the way we did, uh, that Delphine would ad administer it. He's in the front lines. He sees the needs. He talks to the people. That's not our role. Our role is to provide a means mm -hmm. to help mm -hmm. uh, without talking over or saying we know better. No, he knows better. And and that that's very important, I think. And that it's we complement each other. Uh, and so there are the frontline folk, but then there are also the behind the scene folk. And no one is better uh, than the other. It's sort of it takes a village. I know it's mm -hmm. a, a cliche, but it's it a, really does take a village. It's a team. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I I um, liked your question as um, a mom Parents, I think, really struggle with this sometimes. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to react. Children do take their cues from the adults around them. And um, I was just saying to Tom recently, and I, I'm echoing what you said, Delphine. I said to Tom, you know, I know that parents struggle with this sometimes. But to a young child, you can just say, some men like men, some women fall in love with women. Some women I mean, children will accept that. Yeah. And all you're doing as a parent is explaining the way it really is. You're not saying anything other than this is life and this is how it is. And I feel as if the sooner we can move toward that, this is the reality, people. And it's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with it, nothing negative about it. Um, I had a friend recently who said to me, oh, I hate to take my kids to the OU homecoming parade now because I don't like them to see when the LGBT and I, I just, I was almost speechless because I thought that's your opportunity to say, yeah, everybody's different and mm -hmm. everyone is okay. And we really have to move past this. Mm -hmm. It's so divisive and, and there's just no need for it. Mm -hmm. And destructive. And destructive. And destructive. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we should talk about the fund is that we set this up and after talking with Delphine, we set it up so – it has an end date for the helping part. If at any point we determine that it's okay to come out and people aren't suffering from coming out and all of the things, the ramifications of that, what we're doing is we're changing it automatically to a scholarship fund. Oh, how cool to, that you to, have set that to, up. To support uh, LGBT students at, at the university. And, mm -hmm. and that was 
sort of our wish for the future, <laughs> our yeah. hope for the future. Yeah, that's not uh, you know, it's, anymore. It, it's yeah. not there yet, but uh, we do anticipate someday yep. uh, to get there. You're naming mm-hmm. that, the, you're calling out the fact that it will happen, and that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Delphine, before we let you all go, could you um, share maybe one story, if, if it's not a conflict of privacy for anyone, just um, one story in which the that kindness of this fund really mattered for a student? Actually, just last week, a student came to the center and uh, had just come out uh, as a trans person and was seeking support and was very excited to find out that what the resources were on campus in terms of being able to go to campus care and meet with the physicians and that there are trans health care benefits for students, uh, that there is the name uh, and pronoun policy, that there is gender neutral housing. And then they asked, well, what if I want to change my name? Is there support? And I was like, well, actually, yes, there is a, a fund that we have access to because uh, they're not really out to their family and are scared to come out to their family. And so I was just like, we have this fund. They got really excited. Conversation ended. I was just like, just keep me posted. Uh, Later in the day, uh, there were posts on Twitter from the person just saying, thank you. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not alone. My manhood, my masculinity, my personhood is finally being celebrated. And then they posted the same thing uh, on Facebook and then has since followed up and would like to know the next steps in being able to change their name. But just a simple... 30-minute conversation uh, led to just this person finally feeling affirmed and supported and just a a simple kindness. I I think we underestimate the power uh, of kindness. And at a time where kindness is lacking, uh, this fund and just smiling at folks, I think, carries a lot more weight and has a tremendous impact. Beautiful words. Thank you. Smile at people. Just do that. Start there. Mm -hmm. Tom, Jan, uh, Delphine, thank you all so much for talking with us. And thank you for the work that you're doing um, in this community and, and really spreading outward. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. That was a conversation with Tom Hodson, Jan Hodson, and Delphine Bautista. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash LGBT. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich and intern Chloe Meston. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, we'd love it if you'd spread some kindness in the review section. 